This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. Another preview episode of the podcast. we got Bama 24-7's Microdack on to talk about the big game for Georgia and Alabama. Getting ready for 4 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, the SEC Championship between the Bulldogs and the Crimson Tide. We're going to dive into this matchup, talk about what we expect to see from both teams and how we see this thing playing out in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Mike, how has this week treated you? I'm sure it's been super busy for you on the Alabama side, uh, just as it has been with all of us on the Georgia side. Yeah, I, just looking at my my feed here, I can tell I haven't gotten much sleep. It's been uh, it's always a busy time of year. You know, you have the Iron Bowl, and then usually for Alabama, the SEC championship game. So um, it's kind of just uh, you know full throttle right now, and of course the the portal and basketball and everything else flying around. So it's a busy time of year, and course it's also the the lovely christmas season too so we got the decorations going up around the house definitely it's always uh, something going on there's no doubt about that well mike i want to get into this alabama team make sure the people listening to this you know can kind of learn a thing or two about the crimson tide if they have not watched them all season as you have and i want to start with just a really general question and they come in this game 11 and one they had their loss to texas but bounced back took care of business in sec play um, only the second time in SEC championship game history that both teams come in undefeated in conference play. You know, the narrative from outside about Alabama is that they have gotten better and better over the course of the season, especially coming off of that loss to Texas. Do you feel like that is a fair assessment of this Alabama team? And if so, what are the ways that you feel like really stand out in the ways they've improved from September to where they are in December? Yeah, I'd say it's mostly a fair assessment. I think it was probably um, more true before the Iron Bowl. Um, and then I think there's a little bit of a level of doubt that comes out of the Iron Bowl and the way that they played and obviously having to win the game on a fourth and 31 and could have been a lot different for them if they had not converted that play. So um, I think, you know, through it was basically the turning point for them was the Tennessee game. And the first half of the Tennessee game, they were losing 20 to six. Uh, there was a lot of questions swirling around at that time, and uh, they came out in the second half and just were lights out, and, and they won the game handily. And then really after that, the LSU game was a big one. They won that. Kentucky, they blew them out. You know, Chattanooga, they didn't have any problems with that. So there was a lot of momentum that they built going into the Iron Bowl. And again, I think they lost it to some extent, but I think overall this is still a much better team than 
uh, what we saw in September, not just the Texas game. And they really didn't play terribly in the Texas game. I mean, it was a, a close game for, for three quarters, and Texas pulled away late. Um, but the South Florida game, I think, is what people really think about when they think Alabama struggling early in the season, a team that, you know, is not very good, South Florida, and, um, you know, the quarterback issues they had at that point and the offensive line issues. So that's really, I think, where it starts when you're talking about how they've gotten better is settling on Jalen Melrose, their quarterback, which Nick Saban didn't really hesitate to do after that South Florida game. He came in the next day and said, Jalen Melrose, you're the starter, and it's been that way ever since. Uh, but the offensive line also needed to get a, a heck of a lot better uh, in front of him. And that's that's something that I think has mostly happened. Um, you know, they gave up, I think it was 34 sacks through the first seven games uh, or through the first seven and a half games. You know, the Tennessee uh, halftime, again, was a pretty big turning point there because they gave up three in the first half and then only one in the second half. And ever since then, um, you know, the sacks have not really been much of an issue. So. You know, that's, I think, a big part of it. Um, you know, Caden Proctor, their, their freshman left tackle, was was really struggling early in the season. Uh, they rotated him a little bit. You know, they put in a new right guard in Jaden Roberts. So uh, some personnel changes, but it's just, I think, guys playing together, um, guys getting more comfortable with each other, guys getting experience. And, uh, you know, Milrow really is, is the big uh, key to the turnaround and him playing better and, and making better decisions and, really looks like a different quarterback than what he was against Texas. I want to get into Jalen quite a bit in a second, but you mentioned the Iron Bowl, maybe some of the momentum loss out of that dramatic 27-24 victory. For you watching that team, how that game played out, what are your big questions coming out of that performance, knowing that now Alabama has to turn around and play the number one team in the country? Yeah, you know, I think it's 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 one of those where you can kind of put in a bottle to some extent and say that's – Jordan Hare Stadium and weird things happen there and Alabama always tends to struggle there. I think now they're uh six and five there under Saban. Um, something like that, or five and four, I should say. So it's basically a five hundred, it's a fifty-fifty shot of winning. Uh in, in some pretty good Alabama teams too have not played well against some not so good Auburn teams. So I think fans kind of see that as it's a different environment. It's the Iron Bowl, it's a rivalry game, you know, anything can really happen. So there's, I think, a tendency to dismiss things that happen in that game. But I, I also think there's things that happen that were trends, you know, through the season, you know, giving up um, touchdowns to penalties or having touchdowns called back by penalties where that was a big issue for Alabama the first month of the season. Um, I think they had six of them in their first five or six games that were called back. Wasn't really an issue for October, November, and then boom, it came back again in this Iron Bowl where they had two called back. Uh, bad snaps from Seth McLaughlin have been an issue uh, from their center. So there was one in a pretty key moment late in that game that created that third and 26, which then created the fourth and 31. Um, so there's some things that you can say are are more trends um, and you can't just isolate to the Iron Bowl. So that would be, I think, the biggest concern, I think, for most Alabama fans going to the SEC championship game is do those things carry over? Um, does Seth McLaughlin have a bad snap? in a key moment? Is there a key penalty that hurts Alabama? Does Jalen Miller make a bad decision like he did early in the year? Those would be the big questions for me. But if, if Alabama can kind of clean up some of those self-inflicted mistakes, they're a really good football team. But again, there's, there's some questions about how much momentum was lost with the iron bowl. And you know, defensively too, I think was a big issue in terms of giving up the rushing yards that they did to Auburn. Um, it was basically 250 by the, the early in the fourth quarter. 
um, and some big plays too for the passing game that, again, you didn't really expect given that Auburn passing game. So looking at the offense, got to start with Jalen Milrow. Like you mentioned, started to begin the year. He's benched against South Florida. Offense sort of looks totally out of whack in that very uh, tight win over the Bulls. Then Milrow takes back over. And it seems like he's really hit his stride coming into this game. What have you seen as far as the improvement from Jalen over the course of the season? And if there are any areas of concern with his game still, uh, what are they? Yeah, you know, so Georgia fans haven't really seen Milrow much. He was on the sideline as a freshman uh, for both of those games in 2021. He saw a little bit of time, you know, his first couple seasons. It was mostly they'd bring him in as like a read option type quarterback and just have him run the ball um, out of the option. So that was really his M.O. was, all right, here's this running quarterback that they need to develop into a passer. And so that was the big focus of this offseason once they lose Bryce Young is, all right, Jalen Merrow is their starter. They need him to throw the ball and throw the ball well. And, you know, he, I think he did that to some extent early in the season. He was forcing a, a couple throws against Texas, and that led to a couple of interceptions. And that's what really irritated Nick Saban was Saban wanted his quarterbacks, knowing that this would be a year when they didn't have a Bryce Young or a Tua or Jalen Hurst, that they needed the quarterback to be more of a game manager and avoid mistakes and be the point guard, as, as Saban likes to say, instead of trying to be the shooting guard and make all the plays. And that's what really got Saban mad was Jalen Morrow was trying to make too many plays. And that's what really led to the benching. And ever since then, you know, he's he's gotten better and better. There's been some moments where he's tried to force throws. And I think the biggest thing for him is the decision making out of the pocket is still a little bit spotty. Um, he gets outside the pocket, which, again, he's really good at doing. He's fast. He's big. He's 6'3", 240. Um, and you know, he can get outside and teams think he can run. And he can really run, so they're afraid of that. But sometimes he'll hang back and he'll try to find, you know, the, the passing lane. And um, trying to get the feel for when do I throw it away? When do I throw downfield? Um, when do I tuck and run? Um, you know, when do I just take the sack and go down and, and live to play another day? I think he's still working on that. And there was a couple plays even in the Auburn game where he got called for being over the line of scrimmage for illegal forward passes. And kind of that innate feeling of what to do in those situations is still a work in progress with him. And, um, you know, there's been a couple throws too, where he's kind of made them across his body, across the field where he shouldn't have. And th that's really where I think he can be dangerous to Alabama um, is when he's not making the right decisions outside the pocket or even late in that game, you know, the third and 26, when he got called for a legal forward pass, Nick Saban said he should have just tucked the ball and run it. He could have gotten down to the five yard line in Saban's mind. Um, so that's the biggest thing, but I mean, he has a really strong arm. If he does get out into the open field, he can really hit guys and, and kind of push through them. Um, you know, physical fast. Um, he was accurate, you know, with that Isaiah bond touchdown, certainly getting it to exactly where bond needed it in the corner of the end zone. Um, so he certainly has a lot of tools, but the refinement is still, you know, work in progress to get everything to work as it should. Definitely an incredible throw to end that game, and it's one I'm sure Alabama fans are not soon going to forget. Uh, you mentioned Milrow is obviously a big part of the run game too, but what is the state of Alabama's run game going into this game and, and what their backs have provided to this point in the year? Yeah, I mean, the big story over the summer was, all right, you know, you lose Bryce Young, you lose, you know, you don't have the receivers that they once had. 
and Devontae Smith and, and Jamison Williams and Waddle and Mechie and Judy and all those guys, like everybody knew going into the year, this was not going to be that explosive sort of passing game. So they said, and players would say this, like, we want to go back to running the ball. We want to be ground and pound. We want to make people quit. We want to be big, strong, physical. And it really did not work, especially early in the season. That was not as much as they wanted that to be their identity. It just, it wasn't there. Um, I think there was one point in October where I did the the math and it would have been their worst rushing offense in, in 15 years. So you also, you need the offensive line to do it. Again, I think the offensive line has been a work in progress. Their running backs have been good, but not game changers. They don't have a Derrick Henry. They don't have that sort of, uh, you know, Trent Richardson, Mark Ingram type of Heisman level running back. Jace McClellan is their lead guy. He's been a very serviceable, very good and tough running back. who can get some tough yards. Similar to, I think, of Brian Robinson a couple of years ago, you know, who played against Georgia. Um, but again, not necessarily a game changer. So Jace McClellan is hurt right now. He, um, he has a foot injury that was kind of lingering throughout the year, aggravated it very late in that Auburn game, was on crutches, had a walking boot uh, after that game. And um, really up in the air, you know, in the middle of this week as to whether he'll be able to get back to practice in time and, um, you know, get ready to play in this game. So if he doesn't play, we'll see a lot more Roydell Williams, who's a little bit in a similar mold, you know, kind of a bowling ball, kind of tight, compact runner, um, not necessarily an explosive big play running back, but reliable. Um, and then Jan Miller, who's a, a sophomore, would be the, the number two running back in that case if, if McClellan can't play. So, again, I don't think the, the running game is necessarily Alabama's strength. I think they can be good at it at times, but there's other times when they've tried to run the ball. And uh, again, they just haven't really been able to. And that's, I would say, still a, uh, you know, a lingering question against this Georgia defense. When you look at Alabama, Georgia fans are going to look at Jermaine Burton, former Bulldogs wide receiver, who has made several plays as a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, tell me about what Jermaine Burton has meant to the offense this year and just what you've seen from these receivers through 12 games. Yeah, you know, they got him into the portal last year, and that was right after they lost, you know, Mechie and Williams. So there was a lot of expectations that he would come in and kind of be that number one, number two guy. Um, and it really didn't happen right away last year. He was very kind of spotty. You know, he was one of their top three receivers last year, but wasn't really producing a whole lot. And then late in the year, you know, really turned it on. The Iron Bowl last season, um, you know, the, uh, the Sugar Bowl last season. And so he had some momentum coming into this year. We're like, all right, maybe Jermaine Burton as a senior can do some more uh, for this offense. And I'd say he has, you know, it's certainly come together much better for him in his second year at Alabama. Uh, again, there's still some games where you're not mentioning him or, or seeing him all that much, but there's also games where he just explodes. The Texas A&M game in October, uh, he was the go-to guy for Jalen Miller all, all afternoon. Uh, you know, the Chattanooga game a couple weeks ago, again, FCS competition, but in the first five minutes of the game, he had over 100 receiving yards. Um, so, you know, he's been, I'd say, their number one receiver. Does that mean he is a number one receiver in the traditional sense? No, I still think he he's not quite there where Alabama once had a Williams or a, a Devontae Smith. He's not Malik Neighbors for LSU. Like, he's not that level of player, but – he, he does provide some level of explosion in the passing game. I, I do think he's a deep play, you know, big play threat. Um, he's physical. He can separate a little bit, um, kind of push guys around, um, can block. So, you know, he's he's been a good player for him. I think he's, he's certainly – it's been a little bit 
a, a progression, you know, kind of getting him to where he needs to be. And I think Nick Saban is still working with Jermaine Burton on the emotional side of the game. That's been an issue for him um, in terms of committing penalties and talking to players after the whistle. And um, he's kind of the poster boy for whenever Nick Saban has talked about players being too emotional. I think a lot of people assume he's talking about Jermaine Burton because there's been multiple issues with that. So I think if he controls his emotions and kind of plays under control in a game against his former team, then, um, you know, he could certainly be a big part of this offense. But again, overall, this is not what it once was for Alabama's offense. So I would caution about that. He's a good player, but he's not an elite first round talent. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that it is going to be very interesting how he handles playing Georgia. And, you know, some of his former teammates were asked about him. And, you know, paraphrasing, it was essentially, you know, we, we're friends with Jermaine and, you know, we have stayed in touch. But once you get between the lines, you know, that all sort of goes out the window. So it will be something to watch when it comes to Saturday's game. Mike, flipping to the defense, what are the biggest strengths of this year's Crimson Tide defense? And who are the names that Georgia fans need to know going into Saturday's game? Yeah, there, there could be three, four, five first or second round picks on this defense this year. This is a, a very good Alabama defense. I think fans would tell you it's, it's probably the best defense they've had since 2017. Um, you know, the, the year that Alabama came, yeah, didn't make the SEC championship game, but then won the, the national title against Georgia. So, um, you know, it's a different coordinator than what it's been the past four or five years. Pete Golding obviously left to go to Ole Miss and, and Kevin Steele's in here as a more of a, a veteran defensive mind with Saban. Um, but in terms of the strengths, Cooley McKinstry and Terry and Arnold, that cornerback, that's you have two lockdown corners right there. And I was surprised, quite honestly, to see that neither of them made the uh, the Thorpe um, finalist list this week. And, and both of them, again, Cooley could be a top 10 pick in April. If Terry and Arnold comes out into the draft, there's already talk about him being a late first round pick, early second. Um, Terry and Arnold had two interceptions in the Iron Bowl and I think leads or is tied for the lead in the SEC right now with picks. So um dangerous cornerbacks for any offense that they're they're going against also dangerous pass rushers that's their other strength is dallas turner and chris braswell at outside linebacker um turner also a potential top 10 pick braswell could be a second round pick in april uh so two experienced guys that can really get after it um you know obviously they had will anderson the last couple of years and he was an absolute force and they've kind of continued that with with what they have now so you know, how much will we see of both of them on the field, I think, still remains a question. Like, I like to kind of rotate them and, you know, they run a three-man defensive line and a, a three-man linebacker group. So usually there's only one outside linebacker on the field at any given time. So it's not necessarily like you're you're trying to defend both edges against them, uh, but they rotate and, um, you know, every single down, you're probably going to have at least one of them on the field. And that's cer certainly something that George is going to be watching is, is where those guys are. So up the middle, you know, Alabama's probably a little bit lighter in terms of like elite talent. You know, their defensive line, I think, is good, but not elite. Uh, their inside linebackers have been banged up a little bit. Deontay Lawson and, and Tresman Marshall, the former Georgia linebacker. Uh, Jihad Campbell's kind of been rotating in with that group. And um, they do have a, a freshman safety in Caleb Downs, who is just one of those players you can tell right away, you know, as soon as he came in, that he was going to be great. And he has been. He's been a day one starter, um, certainly in, in the running for freshman of the year nationally. And next year, the year after, we're probably talking about him as a potential All-American. So 
um, you know, really good player, but also this is probably a big moment for him where he could be either playing deep safety. We've seen him do that. We've also seen him play in the slot. So he could be, it's either going to be him or Malachi Moore, you know, the senior safety I would expect to be on Brock Bowers. I'm not sure exactly which one they'll use or if it's going to be totally consistent throughout the game, but uh, that matchup between Bowers and, and Caleb Downs or Bowers and Malachi Moore is also, uh, you know, pretty critical to this game because the last time they played, they had Brian Branch, you know, in the slot there who would, who would cover Brock Bowers. But now Branch, you know, is a first round pick and is, uh, you know, playing for the Detroit Lions. Take a quick break, come back and turn our focus to what we think we're going to see on Saturday. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement for his man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Mike, looking at this game, I saw uh, P. Rich on YouTube was asking, what is the injury situation for the Crimson Tide? Who are some of the people that may... Uh, be questionable or names that we're looking out for once we get on the field on Saturday. So they've been a really healthy team in terms of there's really nobody who's been lost for the season, um, which is you know good news for them. Obviously, things can change. As we saw two years ago, they lost John Mechie to an ACL in this game, and then they lost Jameson Williams in the second quarter of the national championship game. So um, obviously, they they still need to maintain that good health, but Jace McClellan is really the the biggest and only name to really watch going to this game, the starting running back who again was in the walking boot crutches. It's a foot injury. Um, you know, if he does play I'd expect him to be very limited, uh, probably not a hundred percent. But if he doesn't play, then, then Roy Dell Williams and Jim Miller would be the two to watch. And other than that, uh, I mean, there's a couple backup special teams guys who have been out, but, Again, this is an Alabama team that has stayed pretty healthy this year, and they should be pretty close to full strength. When you look at this week, interviews with Nick Saban, with players, what has stood out to you? You know, What's sort of been the message from this team getting ready to go into Atlanta to try to win the SEC once again? Well, yeah, that's, that's only half of it, and that's really the interesting part for Alabama this year is that in most situations, the first nine years of the playoff, you could probably say – even in this situation as a one-loss team, they go to the SEC championship game, they win, and they're automatically in the playoff. And that's not the case for them this year. That's They could win this game, um, and if Texas and Florida State both win their respective conferences, their conference championship games, then they could be out. Alabama could certainly be out as a SEC championship, as an SEC champion, but that would be strange. I mean, that's never happened. Um, I think there'd be a lot of upset fans with it, but you're also looking at an undefeated Florida State team, an undefeated Michigan team, assuming they beat Iowa. Um, You're looking at a Pac-12 champion that the committee seems to really like both of those teams. And then you're looking at Texas, which came into Tuscaloosa in September and won by 10 points. And that's something where I think a lot of Alabama fans, as we talked about at the top of the show, would say this is a different team. This team has changed. This team is better. If you put Alabama and Texas on a field right now, that Alabama could win that game. And that might be true, but the committee, I don't think, is going to look at it that way. 
And even this week, they've said it doesn't really matter when that head-to-head game was. They just look at the fact that there was a head-to-head win. So the analytics right now say that Texas would be in over Alabama. Um, So it's something where I think players realize that. And not only are they trying to beat Georgia, but they're also trying to beat them and dominate. And if they can do that, which, again, would be pretty remarkable against a team that's won 29 games in a row, but if they can really make a statement like they did a couple of years ago and win by two touchdowns, then I think they really want to force the committee to make the, the call and say, we need to put Alabama in the playoffs. So again, there's a lot more behind this game, a lot more going on this week for Alabama than um, kind of what meets the eye or, or what you would expect normally. And again, it's a situation where they could win, they could miss the playoff and, we're talking about Alabama playing the Fiesta Bowl um, you know, a couple of weeks after they beat Georgia, which is crazy, but certainly possible. Hard to believe, but yeah, I mean, there is a real possibility that no SEC team gets in. And uh, as much as they've sort of run the show with the four-team playoff, they, they probably will be quite grateful when this expands, uh, just because you know probably more often than not you're at least getting two teams in that playoff. Mike, when we look to Saturday, when you look at it from Alabama's perspective, in your mind, what has to happen for the Crimson Tide to be able to win this game? Well, they they can't shoot themselves in the foot. And that's something where Saban thought a lot of those problems they had early in the season were self-inflicted, that there's communication errors where Caden Proctor, the left tackle, wasn't getting the call. And then there was an issue with protection or – uh, again, a penalty calling back a touchdown, a bad snap where the center and the quarterback weren't on the same page about the cadence. Um, you know, there's issues with muff punts. Cooley and McKinstry had one against South Florida, and then that issue came up again against Kentucky, and then it came up again against Chattanooga. So he got pulled out of that job. And uh, Caleb Downs is their new punt returner the last couple of weeks. So um, if they can avoid, and Jalen Milrow, for instance, making you know a poor decision to throw across his body or throw into traffic or not seeing a defender, throwing over the line of scrimmage, a lot of those things are what they would consider self-inflicted wounds. So if they can clean all that up and play a really clean game in that regard, that's what they're going to have to do against Georgia. But it, the question still remains, is that enough? Because this is still a Georgia team that's better than any other team they've played this year and probably any team they played last year, too. So does this Alabama team have enough talent, enough firepower offensively, not just at quarterback, but at wide receiver, at running back to put up what it needs to do on offense against Georgia's defense? I still think that's an open question because this is not the Alabama offense of two, three, four years ago. That was top five in the country and, and you know scoring 50 points every week. And they're not like that. They're a little bit more methodical. Um, they're explosive in the sense that you can line up on a fourth and 31 and they can score a touchdown. But there's also been a lot of times where it's three and out and Jalen Miller is getting sacked on third down and making a poor read or whatever the case may be. It's not consistent. So they need to do a whole lot better on offense and Jermaine Burton needs to win his matchups and Isaiah Bond needs to win his matchups and the running game needs to get some push. The offensive line needs to hold up. And then, and to me too, I think the, the bigger matchup this year, a couple of years ago, I would have said it was Alabama's offense with Bryce Young, a Heisman winner against Georgia's defense, which was lights out two years ago. This year, I'd say it's the other way around. I think it's Georgia's offense, which is top five in the country against Alabama's defense, which is very good. But again, there's some questions coming out of the Iron Bowl. That might be the bigger matchup to me this year is how Georgia's offense with 
Carson Beck and Bowers and all the weapons they have. And again, top 10 passing offense. How does Alabama hold up against that? Because, you know, I'd say the couple games where you can question Alabama's defense other than the Iron Bowl this year were LSU, which had Jaden Daniels in a great passing game and, and his ability to run. And then Texas with Steve Sarkeesian and his ability to draw some things up. And, um, you know, they made some plays in the fourth quarter there that, that they needed to. So this is right up there. Georgia's offense is right up there. And uh, to me, that's that's the bigger matchup is Georgia's offense versus Alabama's defense. Before we get out of here, I'll just roll through our predictions over at Dogs 24-7. I've got Georgia 31, Alabama 24. We always sort of give a big prediction within the game. I'm going to say that Kendall Milton has a 40-yard rushing touchdown. To me, that is really what intrigues me the most, if Alabama is able to stop Georgia's run game, especially considering how much success Auburn had against Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Uh, Kip Adams also has the same score, Georgia 31, Alabama 24. His big prediction, Lab McConkey end around, gives Georgia the go-ahead score. Alabama turns it over on downs to end the game. Benjamin Wolk, Georgia 31, Alabama 27. Carson Beck leads a game-winning drive in the fourth. Uh, I think if any of those play out, and even if it's a situation where Alabama wins the game, uh, be a very, very entertaining game in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, Mike, I appreciate you taking the time to pop on. Want to make sure and give you a chance to talk a little bit about what you guys have going on over at Bama 24-7. Anything you guys have cooked up uh, before we get to the game on Saturday? Yeah, Cody Goodwin, who um, you know works with us over here, is is writing a feature on Jermaine Burton. You know that Georgia fans might want to read. Um, you know, given his history there, and again, a lot of the talk on the Alabama side is not just about this game, but also the playoff and uh, a lot of the scenarios and um, you know probabilities and, and metrics and odds that go into that. So we'll have a lot of uh, coverage the rest of the week on kind of what it will take for Alabama to to get into the playoff, even with a, a win in this particular game. We will wrap it up right there. I appreciate everyone who watched this live, everyone who is listening to this after the fact. Make sure and go to dogs247.com. Go to bama247.com. Got all kinds of good content getting ready for this very, very interesting SEC championship game matchup. So for Mike Rodak, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody. Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!